The Lifestylist, episode 38, featuring Guru Jagat. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. It's your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Mr. Luke Story, bringing you another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Now, if you caught last week's show with Guru Jagat, you'll know that you were in for a treat, and hopefully I really left you hanging there, kind of a cliffhanger, because we did part one last week. This is part two of this fantastic interview with Kundalini Yoga master and teacher and entrepreneur and just all-around modern spiritual renaissance woman, Guru Jagat. So in the interview, we cover what it's like to have a spiritual life but live in the real world, to be a normal person but be spiritually oriented, and how to live a life of a true yogi where you're operating in the world on the material level, living as a householder as we call it, not living in a cave, and bringing that to the world at large and really making a true and honest contribution. So that's the overall theme of this, but we do talk a lot about the very specific technology and traditions of Kundalini Yoga, and then of course some random things like the spirituality of Keith Richards and how to make money and have sex and still be a truly spiritual person. And what does that word really mean? And how to avoid the pitfalls of kind of being, you know, perhaps a sort of an ungenuine fake spiritual person. So this is a great interview. I'm so excited to bring you part two. I'm looking forward to even doing part three, four, five, six down the road because this woman is fascinating and we just had such a great time sitting down and sharing a conversation that we knew was going to be shared with so many people. So enjoy Guru Jagat part two. This show is brought to you by my friends over at Clearlight Saunas. And I want to give you the opportunity here to save a considerable amount of cash if you're interested in purchasing an infrared sauna. If you go to healwithheat.com and enter the code LUKE, you're going to save $450 as well as receive free shipping and a free ergonomic backrest to use in the sauna. So you can go to healwithheat.com, use the code LUKE, or just give them a call. They're super cool people. It's a family-run business. You can call them at 800-317-5070. Now, why do I use an infrared sauna? Okay, let me just get into that. I use it for weight loss and increased metabolism. So basically, I'm losing weight, burning calories from just sitting on my ass in the sauna. This is you know scientifically verifiable, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's not. Uh, muscle pain relief, immune system boosting, massive detoxification, improves the appearance of my skin, eases joint pain and stiffness, and it's just really good for stress and fatigue reduction. When you chill in an infrared sauna after about five minutes, what happens is you go into a parasympathetic nervous system state, which means you are cold chilling. 
So it's just really good for relaxation. Now, if you want to learn more about saunas in general, I'm going to suggest that you go back to my episode number 24, because the whole damn episode is about infrared saunas, okay? So again, if this is something you're looking into, I think they're the best in the market. They've got indoor and outdoor models starting at $24.95. They're very reasonable, really high quality. And again, if you use the code Luke, you're going to save 450 bucks off your purchase, free shipping, and a free gift by going to healwithheat.com or giving them a ring at 800-317-5070. Guru Jagat is the youngest senior kundalini yoga teacher in the world and the face of the new kundalini movement. She is the founder of Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology, a premier yogic institute with locations in Venice, California, and Palma de Mallorca, Spain. Guru Jagat's other entrepreneurial pursuits include Rama TV, the Netflix of Kundalini Yoga, and her record label, Rama Records. Her first book, Invincible Living, will be published in January 2017 by Harper Elixir, an imprint of HarperCollins. She lives in Los Angeles, California. If you understand the matrix on any level, so whether it's business, whether it's the way energetics work, whether it's the way, if you understand the matrix, you can apply that to any. And my practice of kind of optimizing what Yogi Bhajan calls neuron velocity has made me so much smarter. What, however you want to say it, but it is put me in access to this capacity that I think all humans have. I think IQ is a, a Piscean test in terms of what it's actually looking at because all humans have the power to optimize the brain. And right now we're only using about 3%. Well, there's so many different ways to quantify intelligence too. And this is even being identified now. You have like your emotional intelligence and mathematical intelligence and social intelligence, sexual intelligence. I mean, there's yep. so many different ways that a human entity can kind of manifest intelligence. And it really sucks for people, at least like me, that grew up in the paradigm of our education system, which yes. is, by the way, just so fucking antiquated. Yes. It's literally designed to put people in factory jobs yeah. in the 50s. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, it's like... And in school, I mean, it was torture. I hated school so much because I felt so stupid. Yeah. Because the way that things were being taught is not a way that my intelligence corresponds with. Yeah. And so, I mean, God, you know, I was talking to someone the other day. Actually, I think it was, it might have been Shiva. Yeah. Actually, I was t talking about putting her kids in a Waldorf school. Yeah. Yeah, which is like all based on Rudolf Steiner. I was like, what the hell? Like, yeah. this sounds, and Dave Asprey from Bulletproof, actually, his kids go to one of those too. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, that sounds like more my speed. You know, in Finland, I just read yesterday, Finland has dropped all subjects from school. Like there's no longer math, science, oh, that's so English, isn't that? I know, I want to find out that's more. That's so I didn't, exciting. I didn't get to read the article. I was like, yes, Finland, you know, they're, yeah. they're and interest, interestingly, they're so such a stoic. I've known a lot of Finns and yes. interviewed them. Yeah. They're very stoic, very but at the same same time, they're also really keen and progressive yeah. in that way. So yeah. interesting. But yeah, it's it, it sucks to be smart in ways that's not identifiable or up-trainable in the current system. You know? It does. I mean, Because <laughs> I know that I'm smart, but like, if you were to give me an IQ test, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, Maybe I would come out at the level of a gorilla or something. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. But well, through I, spiritual intuition, like yourself, I find that I figure a lot of things out and it might sound woo-woo or very like crazy or esoteric, but I'm given answers from somewhere outside of myself. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why I always keep a notepad in Kundalini class because I get ideas that I'm like, whoa, who, who Where said did that? that? Come from? Like you said, yeah. your idea for yeah. Rama was like Yogi yeah. Bhajan's like, boom, here's the name, here's mm-hmm. the whole thing. And it's mm-hmm. like, unless someone I think is open to the possibility of that information floating around the ethers and you're being an antenna that's able to tune into that and pick things up, unless you've had that experience, it sounds like bullshit. It sounds crazy. Yeah. You have to you have to have the visceral experience of, of that. It. Well, you know? but I also feel like I was reading on Forbes, they're like 15 habits of the most successful people, you know, one of those things. And I, of course, wasn't surprised that one of the major kind of, it was in, you know, in the top couple is a morning practice of some sort, whether it's meditation, fitness, some sort of morning practice. Look at all the great leader, the leaders of, you know, the president, that they all have a morning practice. I'm not saying it's like Kundalini yoga, but there's something where they clear the channel so that something can, you know, be the, their system can be balanced enough to handle what's ahead of them. And so I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I mean, I, there's many, many stories of like, these great kind of creative endeavors or pieces of art or businesses that have come from, I've been reading Richard Branson's books and I just read that little book called Screw It, Let's Do It. And he created this little magazine called Student Magazine. He dropped out of high school, created this magazine and just like was making these big asks to Mick Jagger and like to come in, could they do an interview? They were students and could they do an interview? And they got these like huge interviews and and then they just like fumbled upon the the record business. And in the last issue of Student Magazine, they put out a thing, oh, half off, kind of like Columbia House, like half off records if you buy a membership kind of thing. And um, that was the beginning of Virgin Records. So I love to read stuff like that because you totally, you get that it's not a woo-woo thing to kind of be following the breadcrumbs of if you have a clear mind, you're what's what's in front of you. Yeah, I love that the corporate world and like this peak performance and how to make more money and get more stuff, like that whole (laughs) like acquisitional model is embracing spirituality. And the purpose and the intention seems to be even like for more kind of material gain, which is fine. But it's funny because all those cats are like going to meditation and yoga and and having some kind of morning practice where they're writing their goals and, you know, like visualizing and making, uh, you know, vision boards and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, really, you guys? Cool. Hey, whatever it takes, you know, whatever the the vehicle is that, uh, or the motivation that gets you there. But I think that's such a cool trend that like in the corporate world, meditation is like, the buzzword. It's like, oh yes, that's just what we need. I mean, can We've you imagine yeah. at the highest levels of corporations, the people that are, you know, frankly, really pulling the strings of everything from government on down, those people are meditating and being receptive to a higher consciousness and ideas that don't only serve them, but perhaps serve the masses. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a, an amazing vehicle for change. It's an amazing vehicle and, and whatever gets you there, whatever gets you there, who cares? Yeah. Like, whatever gets matter. you through the night. Whatever gets you through the night. <laughs> I always say that. Yeah. Like, you don't need to, I, I haven't come to my practice every day to like be more spiritual. I've come to like get higher. Yeah. And well, that, well, that brings me to my next point of um, uh, the next topic in terms of business, because this is something that I think a lot of people from the outside, when they look at someone who has a spiritually based business, mm-hmm. they see it as an ingen- disingenuous, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, they're, they're making money, mm-hmm. but they're pretending to be spiritual. And mm-hmm. myself, of having trying to find a way to get like 
my message, for lack of a better term, through my podcast and kind of the brand that I have now, what I'm building, I have this sense of guilt around like making money, doing something good. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm trying really hard to get rid of it. Yeah. But it's like, how do you reconcile? You have all these different, very, you know, variants of Rama and all these different mm-hmm. divisions. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're probably poised to make a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. And like, do you ever feel, oh, like that's wrong or, or you're, you feel guilty that you're going to have money to go buy like a big palace in Malibu and like mm-hmm. get a place in Hawaii and like fly around in a private jet and be like a rich lady who wears a turban and wears white and is like a spiritual person, mm-hmm. but you're also just banking cash. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm yeah, tr- <laughs> look, I like this. I like this. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my own, just, this is a, again, a selfish question. Yeah. Listeners, you know, these questions are for me now. I'm sorry. And please don't leave my, you know, my, um, my listenership for this. I'm hoping you want the answer, but I was just driving, you know, over here this morning from, the class to your house and I saw this really big, cool, modern, like Dwell magazine house. And I caught my mind, literally look at the house and go, oh yeah, that's the house that those, those kind of people can get. Mm. And I was like, oh, it like hurt my heart. I was like, why don't, how come I can't see myself having Mm. that? You know, Mm. there's something that they've figured out, Mm -hmm. leaving aside the obvious fact that I could be in that house and still want to slip my wrist and hate my life. I know the house doesn't make me happy, but it's like there's this block on the material plane that if you're doing something meaningful and making a real spiritual contribution to the world, that that's somehow got to be divorced from like loads of cash Mm -hmm. and financial abundance. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm trying to reconcile within myself and be able to accept material abundance, just like I'm able to accept spiritual abundance and happiness and things like that. So do you want to be like a really wealthy person and like Mm -hmm. be super rich and build an empire at the same time, your intention behind it is to serve the world and enlighten people? Like, where do you, how do you figure that that out? Yeah. Well, this is, I think that, well, first of all, I come from a lineage of Yogi Bhajan came here for, with 35 bucks in his pocket. He died a multimillionaire. Um, he was a really smart businessman and he created some really interesting businesses. He had about seven for-profit businesses and six non-for-profit businesses. That's staggering. So I come from a lineage of, and he said this over and over again, we're householders. We're not meditating in a cave. I'm not an ascetic. I'm not celibate for God's sake. I'm not, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not what our lineage is. We're householders. Like, try to remain conscious when you have a bunch of children running around and, you know, a relationship to deal with. It's in some ways, of course, it's not easier in a lot of other ways, but in some ways, meditating in a cave with nobody bothering you is definitely easier than being, you know, in the thrust of just the householder's life and having to deal with all the stuff that we have to deal with and still keep a meditative poise and a meditative mind and deep breath and a strong system. And most people are having a really rough time with that and dealing with money and dealing with money problems. And, you know, if we can get conscious around money and sex, you're on your way to enlightenment. So though those two are the heaviest, Yogi Bhajan said money is the heaviest thing on this planet. Uh, those are my two areas of interest right yeah. now in terms of, you know, self-discovery and yeah. healing. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. So um, in terms of the money conversation, I don't have any kind of warble in that sphere. In fact, 
Yogi Bhajan said, to be truly prosperous, you need to be supporting 25 other families. I'm not quite there yet, but I take that seriously. I can't wait till I have 25 people on my payroll. The kind of idea being when we're prosperous in the Aquarian model and this new kind of model, when we're prosperous, we have enough to be able to actually do something. Well, we can't pay our bills and we're worrying about our own kind of safety and we're in our own kind of root chakra scarcity kind of stuff. What can we do for for others in terms of, because money is energy and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's one aspect of it. So I really take it seriously. Like if I'm in my abundance enough to be able to actually support 25 other families, like that's what if everybody took that is that that's the kind of definition of prosperity, whether it's you're supporting by, you know, donating to good causes or you're supporting on a payroll or whatever. So I've taken that very seriously. And I, that's one of my goals. Um, also one of my kind of role models in this is Ama, the, you know, hugging saint. She's a billionaire. Really? She's a billionaire. That's a lot through of through her nonprofits. Okay, so she has you know billions of dollars going through her nonprofits, and what she's done with that money has been so monumental to so many. And she lives very modestly, and she has a good life, um, and she's supporting a lot of people. And she has so my and I watch her. You know, I go, I, I really try to get this kind of transmission from her because I think it's really interesting. She has like a bunch of people in her bosom hugging them. She has her Swami on one side talking to him about spiritual stuff and handing, she's being handed a cell phone by somebody else, like talking business on the cell phone, has everybody in the bosom. I mean, that's like a mother divine. Like I, I really, I just love watching her in action. And that's that's my goal is like, how do I love, create give more. And, and that's of course going to be more money showing up, but I don't have any, like, I'm just a simple girl from West Virginia. So like, even if I had a bunch of money, that's not the way that I roll. I didn't grow up in Los Angeles. I didn't grow up. Yeah, I don't, like I don't that. see a big screen TV in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not how I, I don't even have any furniture. So, um, but so that's not really how I roll, but of course to be able to pay to, you know, support my teacher and support having a child and, and support, you know, the industries around me, you know, in terms of, I would like to have enough money to invest in other people's businesses. That's a real goal of mine as well. I really, want to be able to invest in other young entrepreneurs and help them. And so, yeah, I want to make a lot of money and I want to do a lot of good with it. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. And will I be like rolling around on a private jet? I don't think so. That's not my style. I want to use the money to like actually create, like make, like, like make places where people can create and people can use creativity as a way to find their kind of spiritual essence. That's, that's the legacy. And the bigger picture is that I want, and we're working on it to create Rama University, which will be kind of this whole place where people can come and actually get degrees in the science of sound and the kind of endocrinology of the of this new age and and the mystery of the human operating system and 
Dharma art and all of these kind of enlightened society activities will be housed under this university and also a K through 12 school and also the Tej Khalsa Archival Library. So oh, I really cool. want to build Tej. Build it by the time I get some girl knocked up because I would send my kid there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. Don't worry, Luke. <laughs> you have my word. <laughs> no, seriously, I think about that. I'm like, when I meet someone, they're going to have to be so on the same page because yeah. we're not doing public school. We're not doing yeah. vaccines. We're not like, I'm not entering a new soul into the matrix. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah. that's cool. I'm, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't have that much time to think about it, I guess, but yeah, well, you know, that's, um, a, that's, but, so so it's, that's the thing. That's yeah. yeah. I don't have a problem with money and yeah, people have like opinions about all that kind of stuff, but like no one is ever turned away. I, veterans are free. Anyone who comes to the door of Rama TV or Rama Institutes, if they're there to receive teachings, they are never turned away. So that's my policy. That's cool. That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you for contextualizing it yeah. in that way. That's helpful. I think it. a lot of it has to do with the intention and what your motives are, right? So much of context can be altered by your motive. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like totally. you can do the same exact action with someone or to someone, but the intention changes everything, Yeah, you know? And that yeah. includes like all the works we do and the effort we put out in the world. It's like, I don't know, maybe I have like a subconscious guilt that I think, yeah, I really do just want to make a bunch of money, bail on everyone and go play with like a Ferrari, you know? I don't know, but it's like to think about it in that way where you're, you're building, you know, a treasure chest, so to speak, in order to really use that to serve and to further build what you're doing. It's a cool way to contextualize yeah, it. And, and that doesn't mean you can't have some fun in there. Like I'm a big fashionista and the only thing I really do own are designer clothing. Um, and I really love to be in the art of someone. I love to wear art. So that's like where I do spend some money if I have it. Um, so like, I mean, I, I, there's nothing, we're in a material kind of experience. And if we can bring, Rama is dedicated to bringing, that's why I, I handpick all of the stuff I, I have in the boutiques and it's dedicated to be bringing all of the aspects of our daily life under one roof. Everything's included. It's a, the big tent. You can have a, if you really like, if, if your soul wants to have the Ferrari experience, like have at it, who cares? Eventually it's going to probably lose its like whatever, but this is a soul incarnating in a physical body to have an experience. So sometimes you have to like, let it have the Ferrari experience if that's kind of the thing that needs to happen. Very well said, yeah, because yeah, after all, we are here to have a material, physical experience. <laughs> like, that's what we it are. is. Whether your Ferrari happens to be a waterfall, you know, yeah. in Bali, or it happens to be like an actual piece of metal that you're deriving pleasure from. I mean, I have a really nice car, and I have to say, I mean, I won't say the car makes me happy, but I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. And it's really fun to have a really nice car. It drives like a goddamn rocket ship. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. But yeah. I got to tell you, most of the time when I go out to the street and I hop in my car, I look at that thing and I go, poof, it's gone. Like yeah. I know that it's temporary. Yeah. And so my relationship with the material world is so fleeting. And I remind myself of that so that if my business hits a downturn and I have to revoke the lease or it you know, get stolen or whatever that my emotional and mental dependency is not on that, but on the yeah. source of the thing that created that. Yeah. So not allowing that thing to become my God. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just said it like a Rasta. Don't let that thing become your god. Yeah, mind. exactly. Don't. <laughs> um, okay, so as, as we come to a close, I I did have a couple. We actually, it's funny, we bounced around so much, but I'm looking at my list of questions, and I'm like, wow, we really kind of covered a lot of that. Except but for sex and yoga. Well, there you you can read upside down. You're not even supposed to see my secret <laughs> questions. But there's a couple things specifically because I'm just like so enthusiastic about Kundalini yoga specifically, mm-hmm. and. Sometimes I mention it to people that aren't in it and mm-hmm. they're like, oh yeah, I don't know, bro. It looks kind of culty like with the white and the turbans. And I'm like, no, 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 there's a, there's a reason for it. Don't, no one's <laughs> right. like trying to get you to join anything. Right, I mean, and right. you're, like when I bring people to class, I'm like, all right, first rule is you can just lay there and go to sleep. Yeah. Like you don't actually have to do anything. Yeah. You don't have to wear anything. I am wearing all black. Yeah. Um, I would love to wear all white, but the clothing that I like to wear doesn't come in white. Yeah. I mean, I go to Barney's, I'm like, yo, wear the white section. And they're like, we don't have that. We right. only have black. So right. it's right. like, that's if, what's going on. Yeah. yeah exactly. If I want like yeah. the kind of stuff that I like to wear, it happens to be in black. Um, yeah. But when I go to class, I've never once had a Kundalini person or teacher point me out and go, hey, yo, uh, guy wearing black. Yeah, no, you really don't belong right. there. You're not right. wearing a turban. Like it's so open and inclusive. Yes. But there's a couple things that, I've always wondered about and and um, and the other people tend to wonder about. So, okay. and it kind of goes into Sikhism too, which will be mm-hmm. the third part mm-hmm. and how that relates to Kundalini Yoga. But what is the deal with people, like the people that are serious about the practice mm-hmm. wearing a turban? Um, so there's a teaching. If you're teaching Kundalini Yoga and you're kind of holding the space of the Kundalini experience, the Kundalini, the the, the natural energy that is uh, in all of us, that kind of rising to the surface, which is really just a practical experience of feeling better, having a clearer mind, having a stronger body, heart, uh, having more command over your emotions. It's nothing esoteric. So if you're holding space for that to happen, putting something, a piece of cotton on the top of your head, just like in all of these ancient traditions, there's always some sort of practice of covering the head when you're in prayer or in ritual. It's the same thing here. So we cover the head to kind of hold that space, um, hold the crown kind of space. There's also a beautiful saying that only you can crown yourself, which doesn't have to be in the form that I do it, but it's called a Raj Yoga, which means that there's a royal path that you have to initiate yourself into, and it's a path of human dignity, and it's your own. It's a path of self-mastery. So as you say, there's a huge tent with, and why I think it's, why Kundalini Yoga is the biggest growing yoga in the world. One of the reasons I think it is, is because you can find anything you want here. You can, if you're looking for like a highly spiritual experience, we got it. If you want to work out like a crazy person, we have it. If you want to do some meditation, we have it. If you want to find some like religious God kind of stuff, you can find it in there. Well, as you mentioned, the Sikhism, you can, you know, you could go down that. But for the most part, the people who are coming now are not interested in religion because, you know, the whole millennial thing, that's the, the religion's kind of over for them. Sikhism actually is a spiritual path, but it has been also kind of organized in a religious way. Um, so there's just like, there's so much. And so the teacher covers their head in white, wearing white really expands the aura, helps to kind of hold the space of the class. So that's kind of a tradition of the yogic uh, practice uh, has nothing to do with religion, has nothing to do with any kind of, and we don't care at all what you wear or what you do. And in fact, I encourage people just do, do your thing. This is about becoming yourself and you don't even know who you are. I don't even know who I am. So let's just discover it because 
why not? I mean, we could just waste our lives being a zombie and, you know, being numbed out and then die, or we could discover ourselves. So it's a practice of self-discovery and it doesn't matter what you look like, what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what kind of fitness you're in, how old you are. There was a woman in her eighties in class this morning. There was a seven-year-old in class this morning. This is the big tent. And that is a huge kind of reason why I think Kundalini Yoga is becoming so much more popular. Well, it's interesting with the turban thing because on special workshops and stuff, if I have a friend around that knows how to tie one, <laughs> I'll wear a turban. Throw one on, yeah. Yeah. Well, I really like how it feels on my head. It feels like, really good. You, yeah. some, you or someone could teach me how to tie the goddamn thing. Like, we, we got you. Luke. I would honestly like. I love wearing a turban because I like how it smashes my sl- like. It keeps my skull intact. I don't know if that makes any that's, sense. That's but the teaching. You just like, you just described it. It's like a tight, nice feeling. So yeah. I usually wear like a you know because Tage every once in a while. She won't like directly say it to me. She'll be like, hey, if you've been practicing for a while, which for me has been about mm-hmm. five years mm-hmm. now, she's like, you might want to really cover your head during practice. Yeah. So I wear like a hat, but I like the feeling of a turban. But the other side of that, in terms of just the dress and the white and all that, mm-hmm. I think maybe what some people are turned off by, and there's two sides to it. And again, it goes back to intention, but mm-hmm. it's like when somebody becomes a spiritual person, and this yeah. kind of goes into that like spiritual bypass where you're yeah. like, oh, being spiritual is like really cool. So like, I'm going to be happy and just be in bliss all the time. And yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. wear this, these beads and this costume. And it's, it's like the false guru yes. archetype, yes. which I'm sure yeah. you've encountered. I know I've yeah. sat at the feet of a few of them myself mm-hmm. in India and other places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, they're wearing an orange robe and they're playing like a role where right. it's like the ego actually has the ability to co-opt a spiritual self totally, and build like a spiritual ego that dresses in a certain way speaks in a certain way Mm -hmm. and has this whole like fabricated way of presenting itself to the world with a selfish interest at the bottom of it, which is maybe prestige, uh, adulation, followers, money, whatever, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's almost like in ways sometimes can be a curse to have a spiritual shell or, or sort of a costume and so having been someone who did that, when I went to India, I came back wearing orange robes and mala beads and was like blessing everyone. And all my friends were like, dude, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like you've lost your goddamn mind. And I was like, oh yeah, I actually, I did. Yeah. I did. I kind yeah. of, I thought I was special. Like yeah. I'm spiritual now and I'm going to like go help everyone and bless everyone. And mm-hmm. my intention was pure. I mean, yeah. it really was. Sure. But my ego did get in there. And so that's the other side of that. There's sort of like a, um, a bit of a... Um, quicksand there or a pitfall, this bait for the ego to want to see itself as special and spiritual. What's your take on that side of it? I have a big take on it. And um, there's a great book called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. And so anything can be materialism. Uh, You know, you asked me the question before is about money and it's you can actually have an experience with money that isn't this kind of materialism experience, particularly in the way that in the connotation of that, whereas you can have a spiritual mala, you know, wear a certain thing, whatever, and be totally in materialism because it's just like another Chanel bag or you're, you're wearing it as kind of a materialistic experience. And uh, it happens all the time, constantly, consistently. And it's something that I literally vigilantly work with myself and with any, you know, you know, the people who come to Rama to talk about is why I say, don't do anything. Don't dress any way. Don't get any spiritual accoutrements. In fact, my favorite people are the people who look the less sound and look the least spiritual of all, right? Because I, then, you know, you're like dealing with 
you know, someone who doesn't identify that way. And I had a lot of resistance to the whole kind of scene. So I myself in my journey, you know, when I first started teaching and I did not wear, I was, I, I was really resistant to, I'm always, I'm, I'm always questioning authority. I'm definitely, I always, and, and what has come from that is learning to actually be in my own authority instead of, you know, using that as a way to cut my own authority. But I always have questioned. And so I'm not just like, I'm not a sheeple kind of person whatsoever. And so I agree with you 100%. The the robes and the thing, and you can put stuff on and you can still be the biggest asshole there ever was. It has nothing. And in fact, it was part of my turnoff to the spiritual scene was I was just looking around all these people like dressing in certain ways, talking in certain ways. And in, it still is my turnoff in the wellness scene of everyone's kind of like talking the talk and blah, 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 blah. But who's really... And you can tell, you just like, I could right now be wearing as I will maybe in an hour, whatever outfit I'm wearing. Like I'm not uh, a Sikh and I use the technology of dress as I have even before Kundalini yoga. I use the technology. Yogi Bhajan says wearing certain things changes your aura. And I've always known that. So like I've always worn... Yoji Yamamoto and like all these Japanese Kenzo, like I'm obsessed with, I, I, if I could take you sh- to show you my vintage Kenzo collection. I, like I always wore these kind of like brilliant artists, their clothes, because I could just, I felt like it created that in my own. So that's kind of been my journey with the thing. But now I wear white because I love it. I mean, I even try, you know, and I wear colors too, but like when I go, like if I'm going to get a special piece of clothing and thank God Rick Owens makes whites, you know, I'll go for the white. He does make whites. Um, I'll go for the white rather than the black because I just, I I do resonate more with it now just because it's like something, but you could be wearing, you could look like the holiest person in the world and be the dirtiest person in the world. It has nothing to do with anything. So that's why we have to start to kind of go inward and, and figure out who are we? We have no idea. And what, how we dress and how we act and all that is just habits. And yes, they can then be co-opted into some spiritual bullshit. And that's almost the worst kind of materialism there is. I would rather like someone flashing their money and their Ferrari and their thing, the Ferrari consciousness. I'd rather that in many ways than the kind of spiritual materialism because it's a toxic situation. So through self-awareness though, maybe even this conversation for some people that might be doing that themselves, like build awareness. I mean, I think I became aware of this by doing it myself and then someone Mm -hmm. calling on me go, oh shit. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize my ego had like taken me over and hijacked me and is now making me pretend to be this like costumed kind of spiritual guy, like a true spiritual bypass. So once you hear the truth, if your mind's open, I think then you can be aware of it and then you can... I, I maybe I I could wear a turban in white, but I'm not trying to be like be pious and like, oh, I'm Mr. No. Spiritual. It's yeah. like, no, I enjoy that. And I love that you brought up how clothing has a certain energy. And I never thought about it like in Yogi Bhajan language of like it affects your aura and stuff. But yeah. I know for myself, I swear to God, this is true. If I were to go to H&M and buy a suit and then I go to Barney's and I get like a Saint Laurent suit or something, mm-hmm. I'm going to feel different in each one of those suits, even though to the average onlooker, it's not about the price tag. It's not about the label. It's about the craftsmanship. It's about the design. It's about the care that went into designing it and manufacturing it. You feel different in different things than you wear. 
And even sometimes when I record in my home studio, I don't like I'm in yoga clothes today, but I'll dress up home alone to record a podcast yeah. where no one can even see me yeah. just because I want to feel like a boss. Yeah. And so I'll wear like, you know, a Kenzo cool like printed shirt or whatever right, it is right. because it changes the way that I feel. It's it's very it interesting does. using it, that as a tool. That's like the stylist in me talking. Yeah, no, but that's you know? the, I mean, I really see things that way. Like I was married to a, a man who's now my best friend who also is very like into fashion and so and, and Buddhism. And so it was something that we, you know, we really shared the, the delight of kind of the artistry. And at the same time, the H&M suit, if you are using that as a, as a tool to like just dress up, you know, compared to wearing, you know, we live in LA. I, I come from the East Coast where people actually dress up. But like in LA, everybody's just wearing their pajamas all the time. Now I get to wear my yoga pajamas all the time and like my, my like uh, cap on top. Don't have to do my hair or anything. Um, but so sometimes just like dressing up, like you say, it really, even if it's putting on a, a, a suit that's not expensive, but still you're putting on a suit compared to wearing that can change so it doesn't have to be like this can it doesn't have to be the expensive suit although you know for those of us who have our little fashion snobbery you know we like although H&M is coming out with some really interesting stuff recently yeah I'm not mad at that yeah I I'm mean that, that's that. the thing all the like Topshop and H&M and Zara all those stores I mean I go in there not so much anymore because I'm not working in that industry but I used to go in there and be like Oh, really? This is really cool. Like it's really cool. Because I think they knock off like they do. you know, they're very fast with they catching are. the trends they and are. like getting something. So I'm I'm glad we covered that because I've been wanting to have that conversation yes, with yes. someone who's in the field. And then that would also go, I think, along with the spiritual name, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people that practice Kundalini Yoga have they're a spiritual name. And I even wrote in and applied to 3HO and mm-hmm. I got mine, mm-hmm. which I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. I have yeah. it somewhere. Because I'm like, I don't know, the lady that does it is like the badass lady mm-hmm. that was around back in the mm-hmm. day and she's really old. And so I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. get mine. Yeah. I don't find myself the need to be referred to by that. But um, at this point in time, but that's another thing within Kundalini. Everyone's named Satkar or something. And right, right. From the outside, people are like, that's weird. Like, why does What's everyone have a weird on? name yeah. or a spiritual name? And <laughs> it's, I've always looked at it like, God, I'm not even Luke's story. Like, I don't even want to be identified as this particular guy, let alone make up another secondary thing or label that's also not me, that's more spiritual. So what significance does taking on a spiritual name and being referred to like you have, um, Mm -hmm. have in your life? Well, Yogi Bhajan called the spiritual name the destiny name. And you can use it that way, that it's actually just a, a sound reference to your destiny, which I think is a really interesting way to use it. I really don't think people should go buy it unless they have some like real call. Because a lot, I will say a lot of people do not resonate with their birth names and feel really weird about like, it's like, I'm not... Steve, like this is weird. I just never thought I was Steve and I just doesn't feel like the sound of it doesn't resonate with where their consciousness is. And so I think that that's a time where if you, there is a sound that resonates more because a name, Nam, it's the vibrational code of you. And the spiritual name is the kind of what Yogi Bhajan described as the highest or the higher vibrational code of you, which means that you can just meditate on that sound like a mantra. Like, you know, I th- I'm, I'm guessing you do some sort of Vedic meditation. You can meditate on that sound Precisely. as a, as a mantra 
um, rather than it be, okay, well now I'm not Steve, I'm you know city savic or whatever. Um, so you could just use the sound current as a mantra and I think that's one of the most valuable ways to use it. It's like a personal mantra, just like in the Vedic meditation system. Um, and then for some of us, I was given the name really young. It was really a challenging one because everybody else was getting like cute names. And then Yogi Bhajan, at this point, Yogi Bhajan gave us our names. And then he got to me and it was like, Guru Jagat. And I was like 21. And I was like, um, <laughs> why did everybody else get like a cute name? And I just got <laughs> the fucked up name. <laughs> um, and so it was something I really like had to kind of like, <clears throat> who wants to be called Guru? It's the worst. And then when I go to somewhere like where they have to call my name, like I'll go to Pilates and like the girl, like the little girl who's like teaching the Pilates class will be like, Guru, can you just, you know, put your right foot? Like it's hilarious. <laughs> like, like it's your actual first name. <laughs> like it's name, my like actual Mary. first name. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and so, I mean, it's really, it's like the, the name has been a very funny, humbling, weird, and people are really put off by it because they have all this thing on what that means. Basically, guru in in our technology, when you say the word, actually, because the tongue hits the roof of the mouth, mouth, it actually changes your neurology when you say the word. So, I don't know. Maybe Yogi Bhajan gave me the name because he knew people would have to say the name, and they and I have to say the name. And every time we all have to say the name, it changes our neurological kind of sequence to create a higher vibrational kind of experience in us. So we become the guru because this is a self mastery kind of moment. I, he was very very intelligent that way and very sneaky that way. You know, he really got it in any way he could. So the sound code is much more. It has nothing to do with some guru trip or some that I'm, you know, in some way. But it, it's been like a big pill for me to swallow just to be really, <laughs> I, totally I get mean, that. That's seriously. Cool. So yeah. it's been like a major, like humble pie for me to swallow because who, I don't want to be, I'm just a simple girl from West Virginia. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I don't want, I really resisted it, but it was part of what I had to step into. And it's, and now it's like, it's been my name for so long, longer than, you know, the name that my mother gave me when I was born, which wasn't even the name she wanted to give me because my dad insisted her name me another name. So there was always this like name weirdness going on. Um, it's been so long now that I just don't even, and even I, I joke, this came, the, oh, the people just really loved this. I got so many like teasings and emails about this, but I was joking that John calls me Guru Baby. Because <laughs> 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 uh, he does. I uh, was, that's funny. You read my mind because I was like, I wonder what her like cutesy couple pet name yeah, is. Yeah, and like, if it incorporates some variation, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, but I don't wish it on anyone. So my point being is like, don't take a spiritual name unless it's something that really Really, I have a dharmic pattern, a life that I'm that is part of what I'm living. But that's not for like, don't do it. Like, if you don't want to deal with some people, get really cute names, and then it's actually really fun for them. Like, they get like, you know, Navtej or like something cute that actually mine's, could be. Mine's, I forget if there's another word, but it's Simran Singh. Simran is one part I remember, and I yeah. was like, that's cool. I Simran's like, pretty dope. Yeah, it's pretty chill. Yeah, you could like, like yeah. go hip hop on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So in your I Ferrari, could for sure be a DJ. You could like be like so Simran in your Ferrari. <laughs> it does. Like it does. the girls, you're knocking up. <laughs> Don't worry, they can come to my school. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we you, got you. <laughs> we've got a whole vision going. Do we get? Is this our hip hop? I like party? it. It's hitting home. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's a, God. You have a really great way of contextualizing this stuff and it's just fun to be able to share this and I like that you're talking about the sound current of it because yeah. I gotta say like 
I don't know what's going on with the mantras in Kundalini and all the singing, but it does something to my brain that feels really good. And I liken it to, I mean, obviously, even someone who's very pragmatic can admit that everything is energy, right? Mm -hmm. And so your name and the sound current and the tone of it and the way that you said your tongue hits the roof of your mouth and the whole vibration of sound, which is really what sound is, has an effect on you. It does. And I know this from listening to music. If I get in my car right now and I leave here and I put on Metallica really loud, in about 15 minutes, I'm not going to be feeling as good as I am now versus if I get in my car and put on some mantras or some Chopin Mm -hmm. and like rock Mm -hmm. that shit on the way home, Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel very, very different. And I think anyone that listens to music can identify with that. And what is that if not you know, a a texture of sounds, right? It has an effect on your cellular biology. And that's not woo-woo. That's like, it's those those videos that Guru Singh was talking about, the video on YouTube where they play a certain sound current and there's like these um, beads of water, you know, on Mm -hmm. a cymbal or whatever. And they start making these amazing geometric patterns. I mean, it's it's insane. Like the, the things that we're unaware of on a quote-unquote, intellectual level. Yeah, the study of, of sound is really interesting. I think we're just at the very, very kind of tip of that iceberg. But I will say, like, I mean, I'm a huge Metallica fan. Like, sometimes you got to, like, listen to a Metallica song to get yourself... It, there's there's reasons for the season of every... I'm a huge music fan, and I have a very wide kind of spectrum of taste, and I love to use music as a way to create certain states. And And obviously, the mantra is what I listen to the most because it really does create an incredibly powerfully peaceful and, and, and focused uh, soundscape. Um, But there are reasons for every there, you know, there are moments for, for each kind of sound. And I really appreciate, I think that musicians are some of the, uh, they can change consciousness quicker than really anyone. Well, when I have an important business meeting where I have I really need confidence and enthusiasm, I'll put on Can't You Hear Me Knocking by the Rolling Stones in my car, roll up the windows and just make my ears bleed. And then I walk into the meeting like I'm in a Scorsese, like slow-mo yeah, yeah. scene. You know what I'm saying? The it's steady like, cam. Yeah. That's that's scene. that's my that's yeah, my song. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, since I started doing this particular yoga, I pretty much just listen to mantras all the time. And for those of you listening, if you guys want to follow me on Spotify, you can find my Kundalini mix on yeah, there. And there's yeah. I don't know, ninety-nine days straight or something of mantras that I pulled from the, the universe and it's it's fantastic. And so, also my favorite mantra uh, band, which happens to be Huddy Jeevan's band, White Sun, their music is next level. They have a really incredible album out called White Sun 2. And um, for all the Grammy voters out there, for your consideration in the new age Grammy category. Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll do the intro and outro to the show. With, I'll pick a White, a White cool, Sun song. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... There was one last thing, and it's such a huge topic, and I know we're out of time, but maybe you can give me a very uh, abbreviated, edited answer, because I, you saw it on my list, and I'm not going to let the listeners down, and that is, what's the yogic view, or like the kundalini or yogi bhajan view on human sexuality, mm-hmm. in a nutshell, if that's even possible? Yeah, it's a, it's a it, you know, we'll do a quickie here on this one. No pun um, intended. <laughs> ah, what? <laughs> um, so, basically... The more sensitive you get through your practices of breath and and prayer and meditation, and the more sensitized the mind and the body gets, the less apt I think we are to throw ourselves around in a kind of 
the way that sex has been used as a both a, a way to be kind of derogatory to ourselves and others, I think that's the biggest shift that you'll find. Um, it's not a cognitive thing. It's really just about like, whoa, like all of a sudden I love myself more. And so I may want to have sex with this person who I may just have know for a moment out of that love uh, of myself and as a, a experience, a human experience, and, and instead of it being kind of like I'm being aggressive towards myself and others and this is an outpouring of my, you know, some sort of state of non-sobriety or state of just kind of self-loathing and, and the ways that we've used sex as kind of a violence to ourselves and others, that's the biggest shift I think that is happening is that the conversation around sex is very interesting and definitely, uh, I think opening many, the younger generations see sex and sexual identity and gender identity and, and just all the kind of sexual conversation is really shifting with, um, with these kind of younger kids. I think it's important. I think it's really interesting to watch. Um, but mostly the very fundamental kind of thing is that we're, learning how to love ourselves in a way that we would make choices that are not, it, there's no morals here. It's the Aquarian age. The, the difference between the Piscean age where there's 10 commandments and the Aquarian age where there's one, which is just do something that's going to help you and help humanity and repeat. That's kind of the Aquarian age mandate. So take morality completely out of it. The We're post-religious, post that whole kind of moral code, but more just okay, I'm a human and I, I actually really love myself. And so how would I act towards another human, towards myself in this moment? And, and so if that's like an act of love through sex or some sort of sexual encounter of any sort, great. If it's an act of, you know, whatever, some other kind of intimacy, like we were talking about earlier, great. So I think that that's the biggest thing that's shifting is that there's, there's just this kind of sensitization. So we can't throw ourselves around. And for women, I work with women a lot and, and Yogi Bhajan kind of really put me at the center of the women's teachings and to teach women. For women, we do get affected by having penetrative sex with a man. Our whole kind of biochemistry and auric structure changes when we have penetrative sex with a man if we're into having sex with men. Um, so that's a choice. That's a conscious choice you want to think about. Do I want the imprint of this man in my auric space for longer than just this one experience? Now, there are ways to clear it out. We have an app for that. There's ways to clear it out. So that th there are ways to kind of clear that space, but it does, it affects, and the women know and hear that unless you're just numbing out and desensitizing yourself, if you have penetrative sex with a man, then you're going to feel there, there's going to be a whole kind of biochemical reaction. So, and there's also, I think the women are changing so much. So I feel that the kind of rise of the Shakti is that sometimes women do want to have a sexual encounter that isn't necessarily about commitment or about, but you are working against some biochemistry when that's happening and it's something just be conscious of. So I love talking about sex. I could talk about it forever. I feel like it's such a great, in the way of it's, it, we're so kind of fixated on it. And there's so many simple things, both in like the actual sexual encounter. Yogi Bhajan said that United States of America is the United State, uh, the United sex allergy. He said, we don't, we we're allergic to actually having real sex. We don't know how to have a true kind of 
deep sexual experience, which if you have one, you don't need to do it every night because it reverberates through your system so deeply that like you feel something much different than just kind of the, what he called the mop and bucket sex. (laughs) Um, So, but you know, this is a big can of worms, but I think that's like the big thing. It's like no moral code. We don't like, this is not another place where you can feel like you're an original sinner and feel guilty about what you want, what you don't want, but it's about just consciousness and how do you want to like, how, how can we create more love on the planet? And if that's through some sort of, sexual encounter then great and if it's through making out or if it's through dating in a in a more conscious way i tell women all the time and men but because i work more with women date in as a spiritual practice like how much love could you give this man whether you're like you know he's all the check boxes and like whether he's whatever what all the kind of stuff that women get into what, like all that aside how much could you love this person in front of you just as a spiritual practice because we're all so lonely and disenfranchised and the technological age has has created so much kind of um fracture of community although i feel it's also going to be what brings us together because the world is getting smaller but so that that you know just kind of doing things like that and i talk a lot about this in my book actually invincible living um the relationship chapter was a really interesting chapter to write and then i also have a chapter on sex and and sex as a science and uh, i think these are huge conversations which we could continue at some other well, that's a point. yeah, yeah. We, maybe we could do a whole episode i, on I think it'd be really fun <laughs> yeah, i'd love that yeah yeah because it's especially as it relates to the practice because until this moment, I didn't really realize. I think that the effect that five years of Kundalini's had on me is that um, I definitely resonate with the idea that I can't just fuck whoever I want and like yeah. get away with it. Like, yeah. there's the times when I've tried to have the kind of casual sex that I used to be able to have. It sort of doesn't really work for me anymore. No. But I didn't. I never made the correlation. I just thought it's because I'm older now and hopefully wiser and more mature and maybe yeah. a little more yeah. tuned into you know. Uh, myself and other people in a way that's more sensitive. But um, yeah, it's funny that change has happened. But here's the paradox and the thing that kind of sucks is Kundalini Yoga makes you horny as hell. (laughs) It like awakens this energy. So it's like, I feel more sexually vigorous. And I'm not just saying this so my girl listeners hear this or anything. This is advertisement. I'm not (laughs) shitting you. Like I'm super, super good to go and but good to go Luke yeah but not right now I'm like in a different state of mind but like kundalini yoga gets some stuff moving especially when you do the workshops and like white tantric you know workshops and stuff I mean it's like whoa geez I'm you know feeling younger Mm -hmm. than my age you know it's interesting but at the same time there's this spiritual awareness and fine level of feeling and sensitivity that doesn't let you squander it. So it's, it's an interesting place to well, be that, at. So that's a good, that's a very good uh, definition of, of what true tantric science is about is we know how to generate and open up and, and cultivate and move energy, but we're not just like, for lack of a better term blowing our loads we're not so we're using that to replenish our youth and our vigor and be creative and then if it's appropriate to also use it in a sexual encounter we use it there we use it as parents we use it as i mean this is like this is the real kind of tantric science so that's that's the bigger that's the real definition of what tantra is is this ability that to kind of generate and cultivate and utilize energy in an intelligent and conscious way that is amazing. Thank you. Let's high five. Luke. 
Okay, so wow and crazy. Uh, you know, I just looked down. I was looking at my watch. I know we've a little been bit. kind of like yeah, and then chatting. I looked at and then I looked at the recorder. We're at an hour and fifty three minutes, and I don't know how that happened. I don't think we can ever do yoga before an interview. I'm thrilled, but I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, I hope you didn't have, have somewhere to, to be. <laughs> it might be two episodes. I'll probably yeah. do a part one and two, which okay. would be a first ever. Because like I, when I go into a time free vortex like that, it means there's something very special happening. Yeah. And so I want to thank you for thank sharing you. Thank this you time so with much me for today. Having me in, and it was just wonderful to talk with you. And thank you for what you're doing in the world. Awesome. Thank you. So before we go, though, I do have one final question. And that is, you've taught me so much. You've taught our listeners so much. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life? Well, first and foremost, as I spoke of all all day, Yogi Bhajan. Um, and second is Hari Jeevan, my teacher, Hari Jeevan. And um, the third would be Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who is, they called him the bad boy of Buddhism, but he definitely, uh, he has so many incredible books that he wrote and, and teachings that he gave. So those are my, my top three. Amazing. And then where are the websites and social media where we can find you and your work? So you can find me at Guru Jagat uh, on the kind of social media stuff at Guru Jagat, G-U-R-U-J-A-G-A-T. Um, and then we have Rama TV, rama-tv.com, where there's a lot of free content. You can come and do the live streams. And so you don't have to become a member. We really try to offer a lot there. Um, and the Institute website is Rama Yoga Institute. Amazing. Satnam. And thank you so much for joining me. So there you go. That concludes part two of two with our fantastic guest, Guru Jagat. And I've just got to say, as we come to a close at the end of this year, 2016, I'm just so blessed to be able to sit down and have conversations with people like this. I mean, who gets to do that? Like, how dope is my life? (laughs) To get to sit down and look eye to eye with someone and really connect and talk about something meaningful, but not just to have a meaningful conversation, but to also get to record it, to document it, and to share it with people like you. So I want to thank you with so much gratitude, seriously, from the bottom of my heart for listening to this episode and any other shows that you've join me on. This will be number 38 and it brings this year to a close. I want to invite you to join me on January 3rd for a really, really cool show all about sex, love, intimacy, and relationships, but mostly sex with the famous author John Gray. It'll be his second appearance on the show and we spend an hour and 45 minutes just like under the sheets, dog. We're we're really going there. It's quite an amazing uh, show and I can't wait to bring out the new year with that one. But thanks again for joining me on this one. And we will see you, my friend, in 2017. And what better way to take us out but with another kundalini yoga mantra by the band White Sun. I want to remind you, if you're ready to take your health and your well-being to the next level, do what I do and get your ass into an infrared sauna on a daily basis, okay? The best one I've found on the market is absolutely clear light saunas. Here's some of the reasons that I believe that to be true. Their saunas have no EMF or ELF exposure, no chemical off-gassing, the most powerful heaters on the market. They make indoor and outdoor units. They have a legit 100% no BS lifetime warranty. They come with chromotherapy lighting and Bluetooth sound systems. 
they are just absolutely the best on the market. And I have no shame in telling you that. If you find something better, let me know. But for my money, I'm going with Clearlight. And speaking of money, if you want to save $450 on your order, plus free shipping and a free backrest, all you have to do is go to healwithheat.com and drop the name Luke and you're going to get hooked up. You can also call them at 800-317-5070. That's Clearlight Saunas at healwithheat.com or 800-317-5070. Tell them I sent you and you're going to get dialed in. Dialed in.